Welcome back to Book Talks Podcast. This is Marissa. This week, Kayla's actually not joining us because she's preparing for a trip to Europe, which I'm jealous of. But we are going to be joined by a very special guest. I don't know if you guys have heard, but we are having Hannah Parker on our podcast today. Hannah, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. It is my first podcast interview. So we will see what kind of words come out of my mouth today, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) We're so excited to have you. I saw your book on TikTok and I had never heard of you, never heard of this book, but I saw the cover. And I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but we do. And I saw the cover and I was like, I want to read this. I have to read this. And I was like, I have to message her. And I took a chance. I wasn't sure if you'd even respond. And then you responded. Oh, my gosh. It's happening. So, first of all, thank you so much for sending me the book. I have the copy right here. Oh, yay. It's here. It's on the podcast, too, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And I, like, I marked it up. I don't know if you can see my stickies. Oh, Oh I had, like, God. marked it up, marked my favorite quotes, all that good stuff. I love that. Really? Glad you found some quotes that you like. That <laughs> makes my makes my world. <laughs> I actually have sticky notes inside as well. This one was about Madden's grief, and I just, like, wrote all my oh thoughts. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so good. Anyway. I love that. <laughs> people listening may or may not know about your book, so I thought we would just start off with you telling us about yourself and about the book, any order you want to go. Yeah, so my name is Hannah Parker. I am an upcoming young adult novel writer person. My book, Autumn Tides, comes out September 28th. So a little bit about the book. I'm trying to think of what I put in the synopsis versus giving a little bit more that isn't like spoilers. But basically, it's about a girl named Larkin, and she lives in a village that is visited by the Fae every year. So every year the Fae come, they choose a girl between the ages of 12 and 18 and take them back across into their realm to live this life of magic and splendor. Larkin really wants to be chosen, one, because it's her final year to be chosen. She's going to be too old by the next choosing ceremony. And because her best friend, Bridget, was chosen last year and they had a big fight and she really wants to reunite with her friend to resolve all this conflict that they had before she left. So she goes to the choosing ceremony. You know, she really wants to be chosen. And tiny spoiler, she does not get chosen. So she basically has to take things into her own hands and travel into the fairy realm by herself to try to get her friend back. And while she's there, she unwittingly saves the life of Finder, who is a fairy prince, and they get bound in a life debt. So one gets cut, the other bleeds, and if one dies, so does the other. So She gets tangled up with him and his group of companions, and she starts to learn that this realm is not what she was told about, and it's much more dangerous than the humans were led to believe. So, yeah, that's the... That's the spiel, if that sounds good. Comes out next month. (laughs) Which I thought the idea was so original. You know, I do get Hunger Games vibes with the kind of the choosing, and then obviously Akatar would say, but I really loved the idea. I love, love Larkin. There's so many things about her that stuck out to me. But one of the things I know that you've talked about is that she's a plus size main character. I've seen the fan art. I love her hair. I try and have Yay. hair like that. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm just so curious. What made you want to write a plus size main character like Larkin? 
it's kind of like I how do I get into this? I I don't ever want to say that the book is reflective of my own experience because I think the cool thing about books is, you know, you, you can have characters like you, but they can do stuff that you can't. Like you can kind of give them problems that are similar to yours or, you know, have experiences that are similar to yours, but but they're dealing with things in ways that you can't or sometimes differently from you. And that's kind of a safe way for you to explore kind of these heavier themes, or at least that's how I see it. So I definitely, especially in high school, always really struggled with body image and confidence. And I definitely came from a group of friends that were, you know, skinny, beautiful twigs and I, I love them. They're, they're perfect, but it was really hard. I mean, even as me, like as a mid-sized person dealing with that, and that's not even on the scale of people who struggle with like fat phobia. And I'm, I'm aware as like a mid-sized person, I do not have to go through a lot of the like prejudices that, you know, fat people face, but I definitely still felt that societal pressure to be thin. So I really wanted to explore, you know, in a fantasy setting where we see a lot of characters who are models. You know, I love Throne of Glass. I love Akatar. I love those books, but I don't relate to those characters. Do, do I want to be those characters? Absolutely. But I really wanted to explore a character who was like me but in a fantasy realm who struggled with confidence and body image so I kind of took that but then when she started forming in my mind I just I saw her as plus size I just saw her as bigger even than me and you know that's coming from a mid-sized person again I've said I definitely still have privileges I, I won't I won't deny that but I just really saw her very clearly as that. And I, I hope that people can, I hope people don't think I'm overstepping by, by making her bigger than myself, because I know that's a big thing. You don't, you don't want to write too, too far out of your main experience. But I felt like even though my experiences weren't exactly like Larkin's, I get where sister's coming from. <laughs> I, I truly do. So I felt, I felt like I hopefully was able to do that justice in a way that that a lot of people can relate to because, you know, even body image, it doesn't, it doesn't have to relate to your weight. Society's just telling all young girls to hate their bodies. It doesn't matter what they look like. So I'm hoping that a lot of people can relate to that journey no matter what they look like. So yeah, sorry, that was yeah. very long winded, but no, <laughs> it was good. It was everything we need to hear. And I will say too, I think Larkin, how you envision her is kind of up to the reader because you don't specifically give measurements or weight or anything like that you I think describe her body as like softer than bridges kind of indicating curvier softer flabbier is the word I would use um, <laughs> yeah. you don't like you put you don't put a size on it you really tried to put the idea of body image issues in there without actually physically describing her so she in some people's minds, I think she could be mid-size, she could be plus-size, and even with plus-size, obviously, there's a big range how exactly. how plus-size you are, where you fall in that spectrum. So I like that the focus is really on the body image issue and, you know, not feeling beautiful. I think, did you also describe...
describe her with acne at one point, like having spots on yes. her face. <laughs> yes. I related to, I have been having the worst skin issues, especially with the mask that have just been making me break out. And when I read she had spots on her face, I was like, oh, thank goodness, finally a main character that looks like me. <laughs> That's like, I mean, this is, again, one of my complaints is like, yes, it's a fantasy world, but they're still teenagers. You know, yeah. they're they're dealing with teenage things like acne and, you know, all kinds of confidence stuff. So I'm like, you know, just because it's a fantasy world doesn't mean that that just goes away. I mean, I'd, lo- I'd love a magic cure for acne, but sadly, <laughs> in this world, the, not looking like that exists. So we know a little bit about the book and a little bit about Larkin, which we can talk more for, but I did want to talk about you because obviously you're self-published and for a lot of us, that's the dream. This is your first book and you're already taking off success-wise so much. So I want to get shocking, frankly. (laughs) I mean, like, I understand it. The book is good. So I'm not surprised. It's more like... I think it's more testimony probably to how hard you've worked behind the scenes, getting your book out there in the right hands, all that fun stuff. But I did want to like kind of talk about the author questions I laid out. What did you study in college? What you do for a living? And just, you know, kind of hit on those questions. Because, I mean, not that, like, I can be exactly like you, but when I grow up, I want to be like you. So. Oh, I got tips. I got you. <laughs> so I studied English literature in college, so I did not take a single creative writing class my entire time in college. I just studied literature. And during that time, I knew that I really liked publishing. Uh, I'd been on Bookstagram for a long time. And I knew that, that I wanted to, to work in publishing. Not as an author, I just wanted to work as a literary agent or an editor or something in publishing. So I chose literature as my major because one, my school did not really have any publishing classes at all. But also, I, I really liked literature and I felt like I was doing enough publishing stuff on the side that it was kind of a good, a good balance. But yeah, that kind of surprises people that you don't have to go to school and study creative writing uh, by by any means. So I knew I wanted to work in publishing. And through college, I did two traditional publishing internships. So I worked as an intern for two small presses. And I did marketing. And I did some work in the acquisition side. Not a whole lot, but I would like read queries and read potential manuscripts. And that just kind of gave me a taste of the, the publishing side of things. So once I graduated and it's, I have like a whole long, complicated, complicated road to publishing, but, but when I graduated from college was when I decided I'm going to take a gap year and I'm going to publish my novel. So at that point, I had already done these internships and I was like, you know what? I think. I think I can self-publish. So that's when I started my kind of full-time career as an author publisher. But as many people know, very hard to support yourself over book jobs in general. So I also do a lot of pet sitting on the side, interestingly enough. Um, so I just kind of do like odd jobs on the side to kind of help support myself. And now I'm actually a full-time grad student. So yeah, the little hodgepodge of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What are you studying? Are you in grad school? What are you studying? So I am getting a MFA from Emerson 
and it's a popular fiction writing MFA. So it's basically you study how to write and publish genre fiction. It's great. It's the perfect program for me. I get to study writing and publishing. That's kind of the, the other chunk of my life now is now grad student, <laughs> grad student things. That's so cool, though, that you got to work at publishing houses in college and kind of be on the other side of it. Obviously, when I was thinking about publishing a book, and I think for a lot of people, when they're thinking about publishing a book, you think about the writing portion and then, oh, I'll just send my manuscript to the publisher and of course they'll love it and they'll publish it for me. And so then you don't really ever have to think about any of the other stuff. But that doesn't always happen. Like, as we know, that usually doesn't happen. So you getting to have that experience, I'm sure that helped a lot with self-publishing and maybe knowing what, oh, yeah. what you needed to do. You said you gotta, you gotta read, uh, queries? Yes. Was that, like, what, what were you looking for? So, I, again, I, I don't want to overstate how much I did. I, I was not doing this too often. My, my main thing was marketing, but I did have a, kind of small work in the acquisitions department. But for this publisher, it was a small press in Arkansas. And so I got a couple of queries and they they published all kinds of work. So I wasn't working like in young adult fiction. I was just working kind of overall any manuscripts that came in. So the couple that I remember, I had one that was actually really interesting. It was like a military nonfiction memoir. Yes, it was actually very interesting. So I like read his his proposal and manuscript. It was actually really good. And I like passed it on to my um, my superiors because I kind of knew what would be a good fit for their their publishing house. So they were publishing a lot of like religious fiction, military fiction, stuff like that, nonfiction. I knew it was going to be a good fit. And the thing about this kind of query is usually when you're sending queries, you're sending them to agents and not sending them to publishers directly. Some small publishers, like the one I was working for, let you query them directly without an agent. So basically what I was looking for was just what would be a good fit for the publisher I was working for. But a lot of agents will look at queries and say, is this a good fit for me personally? Because I'm going to be the one selling it. But since I was kind of already at the publisher, I was like, okay, I just have to decide if I think this would be a good fit, not for me, but for the publishing house. So it is kind of different, but querying is just a whole, a whole monster. And luckily you don't have to do that if you're self-published. So it's kind of like, (laughs) you have to do a bunch of other stuff, but at least you don't have to, you don't have to query. Yeah, no, that's good to know. Um, I think that's really fascinating. My my co-host, Kayla, has said she would be interested in working in publishing. I'm sure she's going to be so interested to hear all this because we've both had ideas forming in our heads for books. But I think first you got to get it down on paper, right? They say you can't edit a blank page. Actually, did you yeah. say that? I can't even remember. I've, <laughs> I've, I've said that, but I did not coin that term by any, by any means. But yes. I literally get all my writing tips from you. I downloaded um <laughs> uh sh- what's it called? Skivner, Schniv whatever. Oh, Scrivener, yeah, yeah, the writing software. I, I literally as soon as I saw your I don't think I have it in here, but as soon as I saw some of your TikToks, I ordered the um 
the the novel about the cat, How to Save a Cat. Oh, yeah, Save the Cat. Yes, that's a great, oh, that's, like, my favorite book on writing. I have been working through it and, like, taking notes and plotting out my book, like, as I go through it. I'm like, oh, Hannah's going to help me write a book. <laughs> yes, I will. I, I honestly will. <laughs> but I think the publishing side is kind of even more scary just because it's so unknown to so many people. So, like I said, it's really cool that you got to work on that in college and it's also cool that you went into college with the mindset of oh I want to work in publishing because I would never have thought I I want to be an author I don't think about publishing you know they're kind of I feel like they're separate things until you self-publish yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) exactly yes very true (laughs) (laughs) so we now know about Autumn's Tides Larkin. It comes out September 28th, right? And they yes. can buy it lots of places? Yeah. So you can buy it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon. You can buy it from my local indie, which is called Best of Books in Oklahoma. And then there's the ebooks like Kindle, Apple Books, Koba and stuff. So yeah, pretty much if you look it up, it should be able to be everywhere. So kind of just pick the pick the vendor of your choice and see see if they'll get it for you. <laughs> Which I kind of wanted to ask about that because so many of the self-published authors I've seen on TikTok usually only publish through Amazon KDP. And you have your book on Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, like you said, in in your local store. How did you expand past just the KDP part of it? So there's kind of, there's like two kind of different paths almost with self-publishing. So the vast majority of self-publishers decide to go exclusive with Amazon. So that's where you see the Kindle Unlimited and stuff like that. Those authors are usually indie and they're usually exclusive to Amazon. And the reason they do that is because Amazon does have really good royalties, but The other path they call is going wide, which means that your book is available from pretty much very wide amount of distributors. So to do that, you have to go through a company, a distribution company called Ingram Spark. So I decided that I did not want to be exclusive to Amazon. And it's just kind of a personal choice. I think you can just do a lot of research and decide which one is best for you because there's, there's pros and cons of both, but With Ingram, you just upload your book to Ingram and they distribute it to all these major retailers like Barnes & Noble. My local store was able to buy it. So it just gives you a a wider range for people to buy, to buy from. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of it. It's just like going wide versus just going with Amazon. And Ingram is pretty much the only way to do that as of right now. So jumping a little back to Larkin and Finder, which I was, yeah. I, th- I think I was calling him Fender. I, there, there <laughs> a lot is, of people do. There is a pronunciation at the back of this book. And I did look at it at the end and I was like, oh, I've been pronouncing everything wrong, <laughs> which is totally fine. most books. But Finder and Larkin and his crew, Dornan. Is that Dornan? Yeah. Dornan, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dornan, yeah. Dornan. I love the idea of the crew of Dornan. I guess you could say it's kind of like the inner circle from Akatar. 
I mean, they were they were loyal to him. They would die for him. And I thought that was really special. And then obviously introducing Larkin and having the life debt. Now they have to protect her as well. Who who was your favorite of the Dornan to write about? Okay, so this this shocks a lot of people, but I, I do love talking about it. So my favorite was Dahi to write. I love him. So Dahi, so there's there's Finder and then his Dornan is Saja, Madden, and Dahi. And Larkin gets, you know, tangled up with them. But Dahi is Finder's cousin. And they have a very strained relationship, to say the least. And I really loved their relationship because they have so much history. And it's kind of just like coming to a head with all of this conflict. And it added a lot of delicious tension to the group, which is what I live for. So it was fun just having some some conflict. I've said this before, but my goal was not to write a book where the group is well-equipped for the quest. I'm actually not interested in that at all. I actually want the worst group possible who's, like, thrown into this quest, and you're just, like, praying that they're going to make it out. And, yeah, so that 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 was fun because... He he does add a lot of conflict, a lot of conflict to mm-hmm. the group. <laughs> Madden was my favorite, personally, but he, he is. He's a fan favorite. <laughs> he had a lot of, like, grief and trauma in his past, and obviously as a reader i can i can relate <laughs> but i did i did love that i loved just the relationship and like you said i guess i didn't really think about it at the time but they really weren't well equipped for the quest there was a lot of tension a lot of fighting different opinions and then i just felt like they kept making the wrong decisions <laughs> i kind of like that's that's what i wanted you know you kind of get towards the end and you're like oh my god like <laughs> falling apart at the seams but it, it like kind of on the outside looks like it's going well I mean they're they're making progress but you know you, you get towards the the end and you're like oh man actually I'm starting to see it so it's good as a reader that you don't you don't really realize it's happening until it's like really happening and it's yeah. the end and all the conflict is like really coming out yeah so that's good here <laughs> also it was very good writing I've read so many books where I've cringed a little just because <laughs> I am very anal about grammar and all that stuff I think Kayla calls me the grammar Nazi um, <laughs> but I started reading your book and everything was well written so props to you on that I like a well-written book <laughs> thank you oh highest compliment because you know when, when you read it five million times I'm just like this sucks like I can't I can't look at it anymore it's just <laughs> too well, much because yeah, you obviously wrote it and then you edited it how many edits did it go through so it it went through a lot but it, it actually didn't change too majorly like there was always a quest there was always a tithe and most of the characters names even stayed the same but it kind of changed majorly through little stuff like connecting it and having it be like it all adds up and it's not just like a random series of events. But I'd say major drafts, probably five or six, but it definitely changed every single time I wrote it and I would still be changing it if I could. If it wasn't coming out, I would still be changing it. So I should have written down how many, but you know, it, it changed every single time I read through it again. So a, a lot. Yeah. A, a yeah. lot of, a lot of drafts. <laughs> 
And at what draft did you bring an editor in? Because I think you said you used the editor for Hunger Games, the same editor? Yes, yeah, it was very exciting. So I self-edited it a lot. So, like, after I finished my first draft, I was like, this is so bad. I am never going to let someone read this version of it. So I self-edited it. And then that's when I brought in friends and beta readers and sensitivity readers at, at that point to help me again with the editing. And then I kind of hit a point, and I probably edited it for, like, a year at least, before bringing in a professional. So they, they have different kinds of editors. So mine went through three major editors. So it was probably after a year and after I'd edited it so much, I was like, I don't even know what else can change. I need help. So several drafts. In. It was definitely not a first draft when I brought in a professional. You said there are different types of editors. Is there like one doing grammar, one doing story, something like that? Yeah. The main one and, like, the most expensive one, the biggest chunk one, is called developmental editing. So that's where they're looking at story structure and big issues with the plot or, like, big plot holes, stuff like that. And then there's copy editors slash line editors who are doing more of, like, oh, this, like, sounds kind of clunky. Here's a smaller plot hole, consistency issues. And then there's the proofreader, which is the final one, which is, the the last grammar run through before it's done. So yeah, there's a whole array that you gotta go down the line and have all of them <laughs> look at your book. And shockingly, I have seen many self-publishers say that they don't need an editor, and that makes me die a little inside because you really do. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> you said you edited for a year. I just can't imagine reading my same thing that I've already spent so much time writing. Yep. Rereading and rereading. It's a long game. When people ask, well, how do I know if it's the right story? I'm like, can you see yourself working on this for literal years of your life? And you, you have to love it enough to, to be able to do that. And if you're like, I can't imagine spending that much time on it, then it's not the right story at this time because you will be spending an absurd amount of time <laughs> yeah. in this world. <laughs> As you were editing it, did you ever think like, oh man, I'm spending all this time on this book and I could be writing something else? Was there ever a point where you were just about done with Autumn's Tide? Yes and no. I mean, I've always deeply loved this book. I definitely refer to it as my child, problematic <laughs> child who gives me grief, but my child nonetheless. And even through like five years of working on it now, I never got so tired of it that I didn't want to be doing it anymore. Like I definitely wanted it to be done and finished, but I never ever was tempted to just drop it and work on something else. And that's partly because uh, I don't really have a whole lot of ideas. So I didn't have a lot of shiny objects that were trying to get my attention. But now after five years of working on it and I just finished the sequel and that took me God knows how long. And just the idea of like, oh, man, I have to edit the sequel and the next book in the series. It is starting to distract me. I'm like, oh, another idea. But in, until this series is done, I, I'm not going to publish anything else, especially once the book is coming out. You, you kind of have a commitment to readers to give them a book in a reasonable amount of time 
and have the next books if it's a series come out within a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, I'm amazed by authors who just pump books out. Do you have a process for editing that you go through? Honestly, I just kind of like look at other authors' processes and just see what works and try to apply that to mine because I'm like, well, it worked for them. So hopefully it could work for me too. But honestly, no, no process. I'm still figuring it out. I feel that. Who are some of your inspo authors? Ones you look to for inspiration, both book-wise and writing, editing, all that good stuff. I love Sarah J. Mass, obviously. She's amazing. And, you know, I, I just aspire to that level of like people caring about my work. Like I think, you know, whatever bad things you have to say about her, like you really have to give it to her that she makes you care about those characters. So that level, I really admire and just how far she's come in her career and stuff, even though she's a traditional author. So I'm not, not trying to like emulate her career, but it, it is very admirable, like what she's, what she's done. So definitely Sarah J. Mass. And I don't know. I have a lot of authors that I really like. Like I love Holly Black and Jennifer L. Arbitrout. They're great. So yeah, I, I really just like everyone. Yeah. So the fan art for all the Sarah J. Mass stuff is crazy. Oh yeah. Like, like having that kind of following. What's the book? Six of Crows. Okay. So we read Six of Crows. It was all the hype. So we did our podcast. We did a podcast episode Six of Crows. Kayla was really into Kaz and Inej, like the two of the main characters. And mm-hmm. she went on Instagram to try to find some fan art. Could not find anything. We are so used to Sarah J. Mass's books yeah. and having a whole world of fan art that we didn't realize that wasn't normal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like her fans, and I'm one of them, but like her fans are crazy devoted. Crazy devoted. It's honestly, I try to kind of stay out of the fandom in a way because they are absolutely rabid. But (laughs) I I just, I do admire that she can invoke that kind of thing from readers. I I would not like that much of a, that that fandom's a little too crazy. Uh, But I do like, I mean, I just really admire that she can, she can make people like that dedicated. Yeah to her characters and her world. It's insane. And despite what everyone says, I think Crescent City is one of the best well-written books I've ever read. Oh, I I agree. I loved Crescent City. That was my first Sarah J. Mass book, and I was just blown away. I hadn't read Throne of Glass or Akatar. I just read uh, Crescent City, and I was like, the world building, the characters, I was blown away. So I know she can be controversial, but... I can't deny that she's a good writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree. We like Jennifer L. Armantrop. Oh, speaking of which, I knew we'd get to this. A Polygon, which is thrown yeah. by Jennifer L. Armantrop, right? You are yeah. a featured author there. I am, yeah. So next summer, catch me at a Polycon. Well, we'll see how that goes. It's crazy because I always go to those events as as a reader, and I've never gone as an author, so it's going to be weird being a professional and not a fan and reining myself in when I see other authors and stuff. I'm very excited. I'll definitely be the one at the table with no readers, so please come come see me in my signing line (laughs) and hang out with me so I'm not like the awkward new person who's alone. <laughs> if Kayla and I get tickets, which I think they go on sale in September, we'll definitely come by yeah. your table. 
I would love that. <laughs> I am still shocked because your book's not even out. You're brand new. <laughs> this, this is not a dig at your book. Your book is good. I love your no. book. Love the characters. But, I mean, you're new. Like, how did you yeah. do this? It's magic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it really is actually really funny because I mean any any time something happens I like immediately tell my parents because they they are the OGs you know when I decided to take a gap year they're like all right like we'll we'll support you you're not gonna starve you know but they thought that this was gonna be like you know I sell 50 copies to them and 20 (laughs) copies to the rest of my family and that's really what they were expecting from from self-publishing which honestly going in I had low expectations, like mm-hmm. on the ground expectations, because I I've done so much research about self-publishing, and the the sad truth is you're you're really not an outlier. Usually you are in in the majority. So when when they say you're not selling that many books for your first book, you know that's that's usually true. And of course, kind of did end up as an outlier, which which is shocking to me, but I. I'll call them and tell them like, oh, I, I, I got in the bookish box and my mom's like, no, it's a scam. <laughs> no, that can't be real. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and oh, I got invited to this author event and they're like, oh, wow. Like they're just like very shocked. But I, I had a lot of things that just really lined up and that like frustrates people. I feel like to hear because you hear this a lot in traditional publishing is, so much of traditional publishing is just luck and timing. Mm-hmm. And for self-publishing, it's, it's less luck and timing, but more just having things line up at kind of just the perfect time. Like I had a lot of time during my gap year to put into this book. I had a lot of money that I could put in up front because I knew I was going to make this into my business. And I had a lot of knowledge going in about publishing from my internships and from years of research. And I also had a pretty solid Instagram following and friends in high places. I've been building kind of relationships on Instagram for years. And I have a lot of friends who are super in the book community, you know, have big blogs or big followings or or authors, you know. So it was really, really great that I, I wasn't starting from zero. I definitely had a platform and a support system in place when it came out. And then those kind of things, when they came together, was just the perfect storm almost of of successful launch. And so I'm very lucky. And I, I want people to know that not everyone is going to not be as lucky as me, but like not, not everybody who's self-published has a kind of launch like this. And I, I'm aware of that. And I'm so thankful that I have what I have. But also, I want people to know that, like, I went in with no expectations. And I thought I could never be happy self-publishing. And I am. So many of the things in self-publishing, it's not about luck. It's just about putting yourself out there. And you can make it come true. You just have to put in the work. So, like, I pitched myself to the bookish box. And I applied for a polycon. And... I, I reached out to ARC reviewers and stuff. I, I don't want people to be like, oh, well, she did it. So that, that same thing's gonna happen. Cause I feel like that's, I don't want to give people the wrong idea. Like self-publishing yeah. is a struggle. No matter, no matter where you're coming from. But also, you know, that's the really cool thing about self-publishing is you can make it happen. Literally, 
anything you can make it happen. You just have to like be putting yourself out there and you reaching out to people instead of just like waiting for it to come. Yeah. And I will say, I said it at the beginning. I don't remember if we were recording when I said it. I feel like all the success you're having really is a testimony just to how hard you've worked because, (laughs) (laughs) because no, there are so many self-published people, even traditionally published people who their book flops or doesn't sell as much, or they, like you said, they only sell to their friends and family. And like, yes, you had some luck, right? You, you, had friends in the right places, but you also made those friends. And you yeah, also exactly, yeah. Like you had to work for that. You also did two internships in publishing. I mean, I don't have that kind of experience. So my journey is going to be very different from yours. And like you said, it doesn't mean it can't happen, but it is good for people, I think, to set their expectations low. I think that the thing I want to really hammer home about self-publishing is it is, it is hard, but again, it's you you can like make your dreams come true. Traditional publishing is not like that. And it just, again, it just takes putting yourself out there and stuff like that. But I think the problem, I mean, I did this definitely. Like I would, I would look at certain authors and be like, oh, well, you know, if if I write a similar book, I'm just going to have the career that, that they have. And that's not true. There's so many things that go into it. I, I spent a long time looking at other authors' paths and I'd be like, oh, well, Holly Black did this, or Sarah J. Mass did that, or even self-published authors, oh, here's what they do, and it doesn't always work. You you really have to think about the the path for you and kind of have some intuition about, like, oh, that's going to work for me, or that's not going to work. Because even in self-publishing, everybody has their own path, and you really can't, like, do everything that they do and have the same thing happen. You can have success literally on your own path, like doing your own thing that's right for you and your book, and you can have insane success. But it's when you start having all these expectations and looking at other people's career and just like assuming that that's going to happen, that it usually doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. So now you're you're going to be self-published. The book's hopefully going to do really well because we're all hyping it up and it's a great book. I hope so. <laughs> Do you think if a publisher then approaches you and says, hey, we noticed you're picking up some steam, you have this many TikTok followers, whatever, we'll publish your next book, would you go that route or are you strictly going to stay self-publishing? I don't know. I think I'd really have to see if if that happened because I know a lot of people go into self-publishing and think, oh, the, the dream is if you work hard enough, you'll just get picked up by a publisher. And even some of my family has been like, oh, well, maybe this means you'll get picked up by a publisher. And that is really great and the right path for some people. But I just don't know because it's it's not even that I've had astounding success because I actually can't see my pre-sale numbers, which is like super depressing. But I really don't have a good gauge on like how the book is doing beside people talking about it. But I I definitely didn't go traditional for a reason. Like I, I started out wanting to go traditional and when I couldn't get an agent, I decided, oh, well, you know, you failed. So you're just going to have to self-publish. And mm-hmm. that's such a bad mindset because that's the mindset I had. So like, I definitely know that that's not, not a good mindset to, to go into it with, but there's a lot of reasons, despite the fact that I just couldn't, that traditional publishing wasn't interested in my book. 
there were other reasons why I don't think traditional would be a good fit. So, I mean, for this series, I just feel like I'm very proud of being a self-published author. I wasn't for a long time, but I feel like that's so much of my my brand and my identity now that I I wouldn't want to just give that up. So as of right now, I don't think so. I think even if someone came to me, it'd probably be no, just because I just really see this series on the path that it's on now. But never say never. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Never say never. You never know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it is really cool that you're self-published, which I did want to talk more about because when I was stalking you, I mean, um, <laughs> investigating for the, you know, researching. No, I saw that it was published by Counterpoise Press. And I was like, oh, wait, that's so weird. I thought she was self-published. So then I clicked on Counterpoise Press and I was like, oh, it's her company. She made this. So, <laughs> so can you talk to us about that? Talk to us about setting it up, why you set it up, just all the thought that goes behind that. Right. Yeah, so again, I I was really into publishing. I've always liked publishing. And once I decided to self-publish, I knew that that was kind of a thing that a lot of self-published authors do for, for business reasons is publish under a company name. And it's usually for tax purposes. And it's just kind of in name only to kind of separate themselves from their business. But I really wanted to take that a step further. I wanted Autumn's Tithe to be the cornerstone of my publishing business. So I wanted to start Counterpoise, not just as a name to publish under, but a legitimate publishing house. So I started the company, bought the logo, you know, did all of that stuff. And it definitely does add a layer of professionalism. When people looked me up, like when you looked me up and you saw Counterpoise, you know, it didn't take you that much digging to find out it was me. But the average person who's not super into book stuff usually doesn't like look up the name of certain publishing houses. So then they just see that I'm represented by a publishing house. Mm-hmm. And sadly, there are a lot of stigmas against people who are self-published. So when you have a publishing house name, you know, people don't think that you're self-published. You know, they might give you a chance where otherwise they wouldn't. I definitely recommend that self-published authors do this, you know, for business reasons, but also just that you're not risking someone not reading your book just because you're self-published. Right. So so does that mean people can send queries to you? Are you so, open for business? <laughs> <laughs> not yet. I, I do want to. But I really wanted to, like, I, I for sure need to get Autumn's Tithe completely published before I work on anyone else's stuff, just so I fully know the the ropes for that. And that, that was my main thing, was I, I really wanted to do it on my own book as a guinea pig to learn everything before I just, you know, publish someone else's baby and was in charge of that. But yeah, by the time you finish your book, maybe maybe it will open. <laughs> yeah, because I I don't think I'll finish my book for like three years at least. This is probably a dumb question, but since I'm thinking it and I know a little bit about books, other people may think it too. Who physically prints your book to paper? Yeah, so Ingram Spark and Amazon are both distributors and printers. Okay. So when someone orders the book. It goes into, like, say they ordered the book off of Amazon, so their order goes into Amazon. Amazon has, like, physical book printers. They print one copy of the book, bind it, put the cover on it, 
and send it to that person. Okay. So there's no me in my garage, you know, physically <laughs> gluing the books on, thank God. So, so they do everything, which is, which is really nice. So they double as a printer and a distributor. So, okay. uh, they take care of everything. <laughs> yeah. So no, counter, not a dumb question. It's interesting. Counterpoint <laughs> Press doesn't have a giant printer set up in the corner. <laughs> no, that's, that's beyond my, my skills at the moment. And, yeah. Hopefully forever, because that would be really, there'd be some ugly books if I was, <laughs> if I was printing them. <laughs> You talked about the cover design. Beautiful, by the way. Who, Thank you. Who designed this beautiful cover? Actually, I don't know what her name is, but her business is called Cover Dungeon Rabbit. So you can find her on Instagram, and she has a beautiful website. And she was amazing to work with, like seriously amazing. She made a gorgeous cover. So highly recommend her. And that's one of the best things about self-publishing is you get to pick the cover you get to do everything so no I did not design it by any means but I was able to like have full say on what was on there did you have an image in your mind and you were like I'm imagining a sword or did you give her free reign like how did you work with her it was kind of a mix I knew I really wanted to focus on the text and I didn't want a person on the cover and I I wanted the knife from from the book so for once people read it you'll learn that there is a magical knife <laughs> and it's also depicted on the cover but i i knew i wanted an, an object as kind of the central the central theme so i literally think i said i want cool text i want to focus on the text and i want a knife as the central object Mm-hmm. And that was it. Like, I didn't give colors. I didn't do anything. And she literally just pulled that out. Even some of the very beginning covers, it always looks like that, like the knife in the center uh-huh. and the text like that. So she really got it right away that that was, that was perfect. And people are really hyped about that cover. I did I, not expect people will literally tell me that they just bought it because of the cover or they just looked into me because of the cover. I think even you said that. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's that's definitely what you want from a cover. But like, mm-hmm. I was not expecting that. I was like, I like it. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going with. So. I mean, I did. I saw the cover and that's why I ended up looking into you because I thought the cover, it's so simple. In some ways, it reminds me of Red Queen's cover where it's just yeah. the crown like with the blood dripping down. I like the simplicity of it. But I feel like it also told me, not the theme, but the um, emotion I was going to get from the book. It looks really good on the bookshelf with the spine done the way it is. So props to you and uh, your cover designer, because like I said, the cover's what pulled me in. So really good job. <laughs> that's a good sign. Like that's not what I was expecting. I, I had a TikTok that really blew up for like, I don't know why. It was a very random TikTok. But people were saying that they were literally just buying it off of the cover and they didn't even need to know what it was about. And I'm like, that's awesome. That, <laughs> that means that she did a great job on the cover. So Yeah. And then you designed the internal map, right? Because I saw yes. your TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. So I just designed it on my iPad, literally. Nothing special. When you start spending money on your book, it's kind of like, how can I, what, what can I not spend money on? And that was one thing that I was willing, 
I was not very willing to cut corners on anything except the map. I really do not want to have to hire out an artist for the map because with a fantasy book, I was afraid that the locations would move or I'd have to tell her exactly how far away stuff was. And I was like, that just seems too complicated. So I'm just going to make it myself. And then I can move it around if I ever need to move it or, you know, space it out the way that I want to space it out. And I don't have to, like, go back and forth with an artist a lot. And that was honestly the way to go. I can't remember if I put this question in, but since you brought up money, can you break down costs for us, for our newbie authors? Also, like, we've talked about this is an investment. How much are we looking to invest up front? So... This is a good question I get asked a lot, and also one I'm scared to answer in case people judge me. But again, you really have to think about why you're self-publishing. And this seems kind of off topic, but it's not. If it's, if it's just for fun, or if it's to make money, or if it's to start a whole business, all of those things might seem connected. Like you're like, oh, if I, if I'm starting a business, I, I obviously want to make money, but your main reason for publishing those, those things are not always the same. So my main reason for publishing was I wanted to have a product that resembled a traditionally published product as much as possible because I wanted it to be kind of the foundation for my entire business because I wanted to publish other people's stuff in the future. I wanted to kind of come in strong out of the gate and have a product that resembled traditionally published products. And I wanted it to be fun. So I was not looking to make a lot of money off of it. I obviously hoped I would, but I wasn't really looking at return on investment, any of that stuff. I was mainly thinking, you know, I want this kind of product and I want it to be fun. So that being said, I did put in a lot of money up front and I watched a lot of YouTube videos about authors, self-published authors, and they are not putting in a lot of money up front. And of course, their their path, like why they're publishing are different from mine. Mm-hmm. So that that's, of course, you have to take that into consideration. But th- they're spending maybe a thousand dollars total on on an entire book that ma- like knowing that makes me very weary of the product. Because I, again, I wanted a traditionally published product. So I had traditionally published editors work Mm -hmm. on the product. And that's very expensive. But the quality of work, like the quality of those editors was so priceless that it makes me nervous hearing, oh, you only spent a thousand. Like, what what kind of editors were you using on that? You know, not to throw shade. Everybody has to put in whatever they can put in. But... Again, I saw it as an investment, so I spent low five figures on this book. Total, total, for like mm-hmm. everything. And I've read a couple of self-publishing books, and they say, you know, when, when you're going in and you, you want a, a business, a product, you know, you have to see it as like you're starting up a small business, right. and like that's going to have startup costs. And so they said anywhere from 10000 to 30000 And I think, honestly, that is a little bit more accurate. Like, again, there's a huge scale, but that personally was more accurate for me for what I wanted in a product. So then when I would watch these YouTube videos and they're spending, you know, a fraction of what I'm spending, I'm like, oh, God, like I'm spending so much. But again, it's, it's almost like don't. 
I just said that I was like judging other people, which is bad. But like, look, look at like, look at your path and what you want. You know, if you're doing it for fun and you're doing it to make money, you kind of can't have all of those startup costs because you need to be making your return on investment and you can't put in as much upfront. And that's totally fine. Then that's, that's your path. And that's what you want out of it. So it's just kind of like you have to use some intuition about like what's going to work for you versus not. So breakdown of cost. The main thing that cost the most for me was editing because, again, I use traditionally published editors. And you don't have to do this. You do not have to do this. This was just a choice. Like I was like, you know what? I I want a traditional product. So I'm going to use traditional editors. So my editing was $8,000. Yeah. And that was... For three separate stages, you know, that was for like developmental, the line edits and the copy editing. So, yeah, it does add up, but that's not all at once. It's very broken up. And Mm -hmm. even all of this spending that I've done has been split up over five years. So Mm -hmm. it hasn't just been like, you know, fork over all this money and you're done. Right. But I think just when, when I'm talking to people about money, again, just keep in mind what your your reason for self-publishing is and I think that that's what you need to do first when you're thinking about going on this journey is what I want because that's going to influence everything else mm-hmm. so yeah I'm sure that just made people pee their pants when they heard, like, <laughs> how much I spent but again you do not have to spend that much and there's authors who spend that much money on ads and that's yeah. it that's not even the rest of it so that's you know th- there's a huge huge ballpark of how much you're going to spend but editing was the most uh-huh. and then you have you know cover costs because unless you're a graphic designer you really shouldn't be designing your own cover and that was usually between a thousand and two thousand for like a really nice high quality cover from a professional. Then you have you no know, startup costs, making a website and I bought logos for counterpoint, so that was a couple hundred dollars to like start up my LLC, but not bad. It's just filing paperwork and I chose to make a logo, but again, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And then marketing. I actually did not spend really anything on marketing. Because I really leaned into Instagram and TikTok mm-hmm. because they're free. And I really think other authors should look as much as possible into, into free marketing. So I really didn't, I think I spent under $100 on marketing because I ran one Instagram ad and I sent out a, some arcs. So that was on the, that was on the low end. I recommend that people do research by printing out a list of what the potential costs are and then using intuition like, oh, I'm not going to make a book trailer, so I'm not going to have that kind of cost. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, I'm going to probably spend a little bit more on the cover, but less on marketing. Or like, you know, it's, it's all about adjusting it to your path. So again, I'm so sorry. I just like scared the crap out of but like, don't, don't let that happen. But I wanted to say it because the majority of, of like famous self-published authors that I see talking about it are really spending on the low end. Mm-hmm. And if you do end up spending more than they do, I don't want people to think that they're in the wrong for right. doing that. Again, it's your business and your, you know, what you want from it. So. No, that's very helpful. Um, <laughs> all the all the TikToks and YouTube videos I've seen have been like one to three thousand. And if you're like just starting out, just do the one thousand because you know you probably won't sell very much. 
which yeah. like, yes, good. Keep your expectations low. And yeah, you probably won't make a profit. So spend as little as possible. But as you've said, it is an investment. You have to put the money in up front. I, I feel like 10,000 is reasonable if this is the career you are choosing to do. Yeah. I think for a lot of self-publishers, they just want to publish things on the side and just like, you yeah. know, make some residual gains as it sells every year. Um, so right. it's not like as serious. So, you know, like you said, maybe if that's your, if that's your idea, you don't spend 10,000. Exactly. 000. Yeah. Uh, so I do like the idea of like knowing your intentions up front and that can help you set the scale of what needs to be spent. Right. Yeah. Tips for writers. This is, I think this is a big one because they're, what I've learned from being on TikTok is that everyone wants to be an author, which is great. But like you said, you're going to be in the majority. You're not going to be an outlier. So what tips can you give people? Like you've already said, set expectations low and you've gone over obviously all the steps you took. But do you have any other tips to keep people motivated, to get inspiration, anything like that? Yeah, I'll be the biggest hype man. I feel like I get so hyped about like other people's work. But I think the the main thing when when you're like writing a book, and I've said this before on one of my TikToks, but no idea is original. I think people are really obsessed with finding this super original idea and I just want to tell people that that's that's really not necessary. If you look at my book, it's not that original of a premise at all. It's, you know, girls getting chosen and fairies and a quest. You would look at that and be like, okay, what's special? But it's what you do with that 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 turns it into something special. And I think, too, what people don't consider is readers don't want something that they've never seen it before. It's just small degrees, yes. If you're, like, way out there with a crazy writing style and crazy, like, characters or whatever, a premise that they've never heard of, if you can't find anything to compare it to, readers want, you know, when you finish Akatar and you were like, I want more fairies, and then there was my book, and it's fairies, and it's kind of similar but also different. They they want, like, oh, I just finished this and I liked it. I want something similar. They don't want something that's like, I picked this up, and I've never read anything like it in a bad way. I think originality is kind of a little bit overrated. Like, you want little seeds of turning it into something original. So that's my main advice, because people really stress about this or – They'll be like, oh, so-and-so author just came out with a book that's, like, exactly like mine. And I'm like, I promise it's not. You could have given Sarah J. Mass the same premise as me. And thank God that never happened because I would not <laughs> want to have to compete with that. But, like, you know, her book would be totally different than mine, even if you gave us the same the same premise. So that's, like, my main thing for people who are actually writing is don't worry about that it will become original because like your voice and your message is what makes it original. And as for publishing, especially with self-publishing, I can't speak to traditional publishing, but you can be happy self-publishing. I think that a lot of people see it as, oh, I failed to traditional publish. Again, that's how I saw it at first. Even if you don't have a ton of success right out of the gate or whatever, you it can build and you can be really happy doing it. And it's so rewarding to be like, my dreams and like my goals are just in my hands. You know, I don't have to wait to be accepted by an agent or like, I don't have to wait for them to sell it. You know, 
there's going to be some, you have to work with other people, obviously, but you, you are in control of making things happen. And I think that's really rewarding. So those are like my main two pieces of advice is just no, no idea is original. It's okay. And you can be happy self-publishing. The no idea is original has actually helped me so much um, in my own writing. You know, readers are going to look for the things they like. Yeah. Because like I was trying so hard to be original that I was making an idea that didn't make sense. Like, like it had too many pieces. And I think now that I'm reading Save the Cat and simplifying everything, even though the idea is stolen from everything else I've ever read, it comes down to, like you said, my voice making it original yeah. and what I do with the characters. And yeah, you were one of the first people on TikTok I heard say, no idea is original. And I, I just, it stuck with me. I have like, I have a journal that I've been um, writing my writing ideas in, and I have like two quotes in it. You can't edit a blank page, and no idea is original. And those have been like, yay! <laughs> um, so I will say your TikToks actually have helped me with my writing so much already. So if oh, anyone hasn't followed your TikTok, they should. <laughs> Please do. I'm just, I'm just throwing stuff up there, man. I think we've gone through kind of most of the questions. So is there anything else you want to plug about Autumn's Tithe? Who it's for? Who's going to like it? Anything like that? Yeah. Okay. So as for who likes it. So I, I wrote this book for teens. And this has been a thing that has come up on TikTok a lot is um, uh, people really want spice. So they keep asking me about spice and like I get it like I love books with spice but um I wrote this book for teenagers and I also wrote this book knowing my entire family and friends are going to read it and I am not going to have spice in it because I don't want them reading it but the the thing about spice and I promise this gets into who it's for but I wrote this book for teens and I wrote this book for insecure teens like especially girls who are trying to figure out who they are in their own skin before they figure out who they are in the world. Because that's the message that I would have liked to read about in high school. And as someone who is very insecure and struggled with self-doubt and, you know, negative self-talk my entire teen life, you know, that that's who I wrote it for. And I know people want spice, but it has no spice. And I've actually had a lot of teens who have heard about the book and want to read it ask if there's spice and they're scared. Like they're literally asking like, Oh, is there spice? Because I don't want to read it. If it, if it has that, it makes me uncomfortable. So I'm like really wanting to tell them like, Oh no, like it's, it's definitely YA. Like there's no spice. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of like, I, I know like my, adult readers so grateful for them love them thank you but it doesn't have spice and it's really like not for you like it's for everyone but it really is for teens because I've had like or I had one reviewer or no I think it was just a TikTok comment and it was just like oh I I'm only gonna read it if there's spice and if there's not like I'm gonna be disappointed and I'm like okay that's fine so I just want to put a disclaimer if if you're reading this book for Spice, you're going to be disappointed. There There's some romantic tension. But I also say that leading up to, like, comparing it to Akatar, because I don't want to compare it to Akatar 
and have people think that there, there's going to be spice because there's not going to be any. So, yeah, that's kind of my main thing. But I just wanted to touch on the spice really quick because I know people on TikTok are, like, freaking desperate for some spice. I'm like, I'm sorry. I Books will come in the future with spice. Like, that sounds really fun. But as for this one, no spice in this one because it's just, just for, like, the, the little team. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it'd be like if Harry Potter book seven all of a sudden was just like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, like, my child has been reading this whole series. Uh, but, yeah, no, I I mean, I totally understand. And I think knowing that it's young adult definitely helps set the expectation. It's kind of like, so I read A Curse So Dark and Lonely. There's, like, no smut in it. There's, like, maybe one kiss. Um, but there was so much tension between the two main characters that you liked it. Like, you were like, yeah. okay, there's no smut, but, like, it's so good. I feel like this is the same. I'm hoping for more tension in book two. Oh, That's, yeah, definitely. Okay, okay, yes. I won't say between <laughs> who or anything like that, but <laughs> definitely hoping for more tension. Because I got to the end, and I was like, no hand-holding, no kiss, no proclamation of feelings. But, um, yeah, knowing it's young adult is helpful. And I do think it's a really good young adult book. I also am so interested that you chose fantasy as your genre, but with a kind of like young adult contemporary theme of like body image and coming of age kind of, because normally you read John Green books for coming of age, right? Like stepping into your own and they're not fantasy. I love fantasy books. So it's nice to see that message in a book that I like to read. Great. I love that because that's like literally what I wanted to. Because I was like, you know, there's so much fantasy that's like, she's a beautiful princess, assassin. Oh, okay. Like, I love that. But I do not relate to that. I just (laughs) want to be her very badly and it makes me depressed. (laughs) And so it's just, you know, I wanted a fantasy that just felt not like even more realistic, but just kind of relatable. I don't know. Just because you're in a fantasy world does not mean you're exempt for normal teenage problems. Perfect. So we have talked about Autumn's Tithe. It comes out September 28th. Talked a little about you. Do you want to plug your social media so everyone can follow you? Yeah. So my Instagram and my TikTok are at Hannah Parker Books. And that's really all I'm on. Um, not a Twitter person. But my website is just hannahparker.com. And you can find Counterpoise Press at counterpoisepress.com. And that's kind of all my social media. I don't have a whole lot, but those are my, those are my main ones where I'm most active. And you have a newsletter on your author site, right? Yes. Yeah. So if I don't spam people, uh, it's like pulling teeth to get me to make a newsletter, but I'd love to subscribe. I'm going to try to have more, not just news, but like add a section that's helpful, like for writers or something. So my August newsletter, of course, this will like have already passed, I think by the time this, this comes out, but like, I'm going to have a newsletter in August. that's like alternative covers. So some of the other covers that didn't, didn't, end up being the final cover, but I thought it'd be fun to see, like, some alternate covers. So I'm going to start adding some fun other stuff that's not just, like, buy my book, I have news. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's on my website, and you can just subscribe there on my website. And I think I have, like, a link in my Instagram bio, too, so okay. hopefully it's, it's easy to find. <laughs> I think I actually subscribed to your newsletter, so I'll, I'm excited to see oh, the good. alternate cover. Yeah! 
it's so interesting. It's so weird, like, thinking about it having a different cover when I'm, like, so used to this cover and so ingrained in my brain. So, yeah, it's, like, crazy looking back on all the all the could have been covers, which are all beautiful. This was this was the right cover. This was the winner for sure. (laughs) But this was really good. I love this book. I'm I will pre-order your hardcover version because I want to help support you. But thank you for sending me this. I love it. No problem. I'm so glad you reached out because this was so fun. My first ever. I know. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on. Um, We'll sign off here. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about your book. Again, to anyone listening, you can get Autumn's Tithe September 28th. You can pre-order it, Barnes Noble, Amazon. Check out her author website, hannahparker.com. Find all the details. And thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Thank you for coming on. And I can't wait to see more of your TikTok videos. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is Marissa, and I will see you guys next next time on Book Talks Podcast. And follow us on Book Talks Podcast on Instagram and TikTok.